But we're going to talk about a topic today. I was asked to speak on grief and loss. Um, how to have a, a tender, such a tender heart to speak on a subject like this. Um, and um, at the end of the day, this is what I'm hoping we will accomplish. I'm hoping three things will happen. That we, this will help us to respond to our personal grief. You know, they say in life there are only two things that are for sure. You're going to die and you're going to pay taxes. I think we need to include we're all going to suffer grief and loss. It's a part of this thing we call living. And hopefully by the end of today, this will help you to get through those times, those stressful times, those times when you feel like you're falling apart inside and you're looking for something to hold you together in those times. And the second thing I'm hoping is that by the end of the day, we become grief bearers where we're people who can go to those or if we're approached by someone who is in grief or loss, we'll be able to be something for them. They're looking for something from us. I, I always think maybe because I'm a guy, guys have a hard time with this. We have a problem getting out of ourselves. You know what that means? And sometimes just responding, you know, sometimes we're up here. Sometimes we've got to do a brain dump and just respond, get in there and get involved. So I'm hoping by this, the second thing that happens is we'll be, be able to minister to those who are going through grief and loss. And then the third thing is I want to see God in our grief and loss. So those are the three things we're going to try to look at today. And uh, I don't know if any of you know who, who um, C.S. Lewis is. Everybody, anybody ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Okay. Well, he was uh, probably one of the most prominent Christians of the 20th century. He lived in England. He wrote books like um, uh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. He wrote Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote uh, Screwtape Letters. But he also wrote Mere Christianity. It's a tremendous book. And it's someone's very logical. They want to approach God through logic. Mere Christianity is, is a book for you. He was a, philo he was a philosopher uh, teacher. He was a don in Oxford. And uh, he was uh, a man who was cocooned in a little world of the intellectuals. And there's a little video clip I have here. I want you to see C.S. Lewis and he's played by, believe it or not, um, Anthony Hopkins in the movie Shadowlands. And it's a little film clip here. This is before his life was turned upside down, by the way. He met a, a, an American woman who was so blunt and so straightforward, he just didn't know what to do with her. He was this very proper British, uh, you know, lifted up, cocooned guy, and he met this American who totally pulled the wall out, the carpet out from under him. So he's teaching at a, he's, he's speaking at a teacher's conference in this little film clip, and these are the words that he said. Yesterday, I received a letter that referred to an event that took place almost a year ago now, December the 4th, 1951. My correspondent hadn't forgotten, I doubt if any of us have. That was the night a number one bus drove into a column of young Royal Marine cadets in Chatham and killed 24 of them. You remember? Now, the letter asks some simple but fundamental questions. 
Where was God on that December night? Why didn't he stop it? Isn't God supposed to be good? Isn't he supposed to love us? And does God want us to suffer? What if the answer to that question is yes? So I'm not sure that God particularly wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to be able to love and be loved. He wants us to grow up. I suggest to you that it is because God loves us that he makes us the gift of suffering. Let's put it another way. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men, the blows of his chisel, which hurt us so much, are what make us perfect. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Yesterday, I received a letter. So these were. To an event that took place <laughs> almost a year ago, now, December the 4th, 1951. Okay. These are the words that he spoke at that conference. Um, The thing is, we uh, spend a lot of tr time trying to figure out God. You know, we read in Isaiah that he says, my ways are higher than your ways. We can spend a lot of days mulling over and even be tortured by the whys of life. In my work in family therapy, I deal with a lot of families who ask that question, why, why, why? Um, and I guess when I think about it, maybe as Christians we should approach it a little differently. We should ask, maybe we should start to know what the character of God is like more than asking the why question of God. For if we know that this God, it says in 1 John, God is love. If he is love, it means that everything he does, because he's love, he can only respond from love to us. That, that's the only thing, the only thing God knows. God is love. So whatever it looks like in God, it is love. How, that's how he responds to us. And maybe knowing the character of God is where we need to go when we're in suffering and loss. Because the why questions, I, I believe that God allows us to ask the why questions. Don't get me wrong, and he'll... He'll struggle with us. Well, he'll reason with us, but knowing the character of God and who he is might be the real answer to suffering and loss and grief. If you know who he is, you trust him with your life. You trust him with your emotions. You trust him with what's going to happen next. And if you know him like that, I'll tell you, you can get through your suffering and loss and grief and loss much better. Um, Sometimes you just need God to hold you together during those periods. I remember when I lost my dog, Barnabas. Uh, I remember I was um, in the backyard yelling at God. I mean, I wasn't yelling at him, but I was yelling words like, you've got to hold me together through this. You've got to. Um, so I was asking God because I saw myself falling apart you have to get me to get. You have to get me through this. So I believe he was there, 
And in my grief, he was holding on to me because I knew who he was. I knew he wouldn't let go, you know? So maybe the answer is knowing the character of God as we go through. And um, what do you need from people when you're suffering grief and loss? What kind of responses would you want someone to come up to you with? Hmm? Okay, space. Okay, some people need space. Legitimate, great. What, what other things? Compassion. Validation. Hmm? Quietness. Someone to be there with me. Okay. Any other responses? You see, there. Everyone has is wired differently, and everyone's going to need maybe something different. Some people need space. Some people want to be close. But whatever it is, we have to kind of gauge the situation and be approaching that person with sensitivity. Kind of step back and see what what is needed at this moment. It's called situational awareness. It's really important for us to have this kind of situational awareness to be able to respond when we need to. Okay? And these are the stages of grief and loss. Okay, what we do is, and there are, sometimes there are five stages. This one has seven. Um, I remember when I was, an, was a boy, I was an altar boy at the Polish church, and I was a choir boy at the Irish church. <laughs> because my mother was Polish, my father was Irish. And uh, I remember I used to go to the funerals, and the priest used to pay me a few bucks to go to the funeral to serve at the funeral, so I used to love to go, of course. And uh, we used to go to the, uh, the grave site with all the time. And it was amazing the difference in the way each community responded to loss. And at the Polish ones, the Polish funerals, the, the women wear babushkas, you know, those scarves. Babushka is the, the scar, uh, Polish word for scarf. And they would get very animated at the gravesite, and they would be wailing and, and sometimes screaming. And, and at the gravesite, they would be almost, I don't, they would say things in Polish. I'm glad I didn't speak Polish. But they would be screaming, and, and it would be that kind of a thing. And so uh, you had to get used to that. It be, you have to normalize things like that to where you're, you're not put off by a show of emotion. So that's what happened at the Polish funeral. Then I used to go to the Irish funeral, and there was no emotion at all. I mean, it was like stiff upper lip, let's get through this, and let's get to the afters, which were lots of beer and bottles of stuff. And people, that's the way they coped with their law. Drinking was the inebriation of feelings and emotions. And I'm, I don't want to generalize, but that's what I saw when I was a boy. So we, our culture impacts the way we respond and the way our, our family life is and was, the way our family responded to grief and loss impacts us. But is that really you? I mean, so you've been conditioned by your family and by... But is that really you? I found out that that wasn't me. I was more Polish than Irish, by the way. I was a person who really felt deeply, and I wanted to get into that. So anyway, 
the, the thing that's important is this. God has constructed us in such a way to accommodate all the experiences of life. The chemicals that are released help us to manage all of life's experiences. For example, during grief, crying stimulates the production of endorphins, and that's our body's natural painkiller. So what I'm trying to say is where grief and loss are concerned, there's a process if you're willing to go with the process, the healing will be greater and deeper in your life. I don't think we should ever try to bypass grief because if we bypass it in one time, it'll come back to get us another time. So allow the grieving process to take place. Don't let anyone rob you of your grief, I'm saying. If you need to be there, you just stay there. Now, I realize that there are people that can stay there and be stuck there, but that's another issue. But these are the six. And what I'm going to do is, in, instead of explaining them, I'm going to just give you some quotes, and I'm going to ask you what stage you think the people are in. So thanks, Mike. This is what C.S. Lewis said, uh, again, to me, talk to me about the, he, this is after he lost his, his dear American wife. He finally found someone that challenged him enough to get involved to love somebody. He was not a man, you would think it was cold ice water in his veins when she met him. But very soon that turned into rich red blood. And you saw this man become so uh, vulnerable. This man who would not allow anyone to touch him. She used to say to him, Jack, but you're always in control. And all of a sudden, he had to give, he had to become vulnerable to a woman, to this American woman. So he changed so much. And these were some of his words in this book, A Grief Observed. Talk to me about the truth of religion, and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion, and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion, or I shall suspect you don't understand. Go to, thanks, Mike. Which stage of grief do you think he was in here? Probably somebody said it, the anger and bargaining stage, okay? He was processing his loss here. And God doesn't mind if you get angry. He doesn't mind if you address him when you're angry. You look at the book of Job, the book of David, at the Psalms. They wrestled with God all the time. They said, God, how could you let this happen? Where are you? So he was probably in the anger and bargaining stage. Thanks, Mike. The next one he says is, no one ever told me that grief felt so, so much like fear. Thanks, Mike. Where do you think he was in that stage? Any, anyone think? Probably pain and guilt. Is that probably where he is? Probably. Or, the, or depression, reflection, loneliness. It could be that one here too. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Here's another one. To weep is to make less the depth of grief. He wept and it felt as if the tears were cleansing him, as if his body needed to empty itself. What stage do you think that is? Hmm? 
That's, I would say, reconstruction, somebody said, and working through. Okay, that's where that person, that's where Shakespeare was. All right, all right, next. So it's true, when all is said and done, grief is the price we pay for love. What a profound statement. What do you think? Maybe acceptance and hope, maybe, or maybe still working through, somewhere in there, okay? Life isn't about how comfortable I can be. It is about learning how to get, uncom get comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> Where do you think that person is? What do you think? Right. It's somewhere in reconstruction, working through maybe acceptance and hope. Okay. All right. Where do you think Job was? What a, what, a, what a tough statement that is. Anyway. It's probably acceptance and hope, maybe, or one before that. Anyway, those are just responses to grief. And if you allow grief to happen in the right way, <clears throat> it doesn't come out in the wrong way later. You see, our wholeness our well-being are dependent upon the way we respond to things. And the key is, if we will just simply allow grief to happen, it won't, come, it won't be a barrier to our growing and our wholeness later. Okay? All right. So how should we respond to someone then who is in grief? Okay. Tears shed for another person are not a sign of weakness. They are a sign of a pure heart. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right. So the key is, what are we like with other people who are in grief? I mean, how, how do you guys, be honest, how do you, what do you feel about when you see someone is in grief? What kinds of feelings happen in you when you know you may have to respond to that person? What kinds of things? You hurt for them. Okay. Any other responses? Okay, so it meant to you, you want to go out to them because it meant a lot to you. Yeah. Wow. So they have the option to say, go away, or they can accept my love. That, that's a risk. You're saying you take a risk with people. And you, you just donate yourself, and you see what it's like. Anybody kind of like freeze up when they kind of see someone in grief? Because it's okay, thank you. It's out of our comfort zones a lot of times, isn't it? And uh, so, okay. Okay, let's talk about Job for a minute. I want to read just one or two scriptures that will help. I want you to see how Job's comforters, in quotes, help, tried to help him when he was in grief. And just simply from Job 1.1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. 
And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned people. And then in Job 2, 11 through 13, what happened to Job was he lost his health, his wealth, and his children. This is the story of Job, a man who had done nothing wrong. Good things, bad things happen to good people? How could that be? But here's Job, who was an upright man, it says, but he lost his family, his children, his wealth, and his health. And here comes Job's comforters to help him along here, Job 2. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came with his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Comfort him. Okay, get a load of that. Okay. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So we have these three helpers. Eliphaz, in Job 4, this is what he says to Job. He says, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even, uh, even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. <laughs> How compassionate. Eliphaz was kind of like a, a, an armchair quarterback. He was assessing Job's situation and making these determinations in his mind. He says, God can't be that way. He can't let you suffer. You must have done something wrong, Job. That was Eliphaz's opinion. Bildad was the other comforter. And in 11 through 13, he says this, Can the papyrus grow up without marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? All these metaphors he uses. While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and, who ho and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. So Bildad's assessment of Job was, oh, he must have turned his back on God. He's just not living right somehow. That was his assessment of Job. And then the last one was Zophar. And Zophar in 2 through 6 says this, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? For you have said my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you that he would show you the secrets of wisdom. So I guess they were there. And my question to you is, what 
kind of response do you want from people? This is Job's response to them. Job somehow lives in hope, not in fear. And although he's getting these things coming at him, and he's trying in a way to, he's suffering, he's going through what he's going through, and he's almost like trying to knock back all these words that are being spoken over him, he still hangs on to God. You see, this is what I'm talking about, this relationship. You see, he knew God where they didn't. He understood God. He had an intimacy with God that they didn't have. He understood that God was going to be with him. God was going to be there all the way to the end. He was going to walk with him through his pain. And this, the assessment that these guys had was just their assessment. Who knows why they responded the way they did? What are the things inside us in our core root that cause us to resp respond wrongly to people? What are, what are our issues? What are our, what's our baggage all about that we try to assess everyone else's plight instead of just diving in there and being what they need to be or being what we need to be for them? Okay, and he says, my Redeemer lives, he says. He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. He never gave up, despite all the all the conflicts that were coming. Thanks, Mike. So my, our way to respond then, I'm going to make you all first responders today. Okay? Acknowledge the person's loss. Just a couple of words. You don't have to be eloquent. I, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. It's simple words, simple sentences. Okay? Be sincere. And when I say be sincere, am I asking you to feel it? Well, we're diverse. Some people really feel it. Maybe some people don't. The, for those who feel it, like my wife who has a gift of mercy, I mean, my daughter and I, we wonder sometimes she, well, if we have an ache or a pain, my wife goes on about it, and we're saying, oh, man, it's okay, but she has so much mercy that <laughs> she just showers us with mercy all the time at home. So anyway, <laughs> my daughter's laughing. Uh, but some people feel it and some people don't. So what? Even if you don't feel it, I think the greatest victory in your life is when you don't feel something and you do it anyway. I mean, okay, I, I'm really grateful for all the gifts that people have and a person that's easily vulnerable, that can go up to someone and really feel it, that's, that's a wonderful gift to have. But what about those people who don't have that kind of thing? I'm just going to make, say something, do it anyway. You know, you have all these slogans, just do it. We take those things and we, we run with them and there's supposed to be some kind of a validation of us. We feel really good about it. But how about you when you are kind of out of it, doing it anyway. Just donate your body. Just go on up and hug. You don't have to say anything. But maybe somebody needs that from you. It, it's just sometimes a response is what matters. Not getting into your head, not thinking about it, not being one of Job's comforters and trying to figure this thing out. Just get in the game. Just do it. Just hug somebody if they need it. But then again, be sensitive if they're needing space too. 
Okay, don't always have to give words. Be understanding of emotional displays. In this culture, I, I, we were in England for 14 years, and it's like, you know, I, I don't want to generalize again, but getting emotional was not so much a done thing. And then I came here to New England, and I see some of that has been passed to New England. But I go to the Dominican Republic. I go to these India. I go to these other countries. There's no inhibition on emotions. People don't hold back emotions. This is, this is us. I'm not saying, don't, don't think this is normal to hold back emotions and be stiff, you know. Don't think that's normal. We're conditioned by that. Go to other cultures and get a little bit of what they do. Then you can come back and it'll rub off on you. And maybe you'll change. Maybe you'll see the, the, the good part of that, that getting involved, it's risky but it's wonderful, okay? All right, don't, you don't always have to give words, but give yourself. Just get in the arena. Just get in the game. Forget about everything. It's not about you. It's about them. We're always thinking about, oh, I, we get in a situation, I'm thinking about me. It's not about me. Someone needs you to respond. Get in there. Get in the game. People don't care about what you know until they know that you care. That's the bottom line. Okay. So the next one is, how would you rate your response to someone who is grieving on a scale to 1 to 10? Just give you, I won't ask you what your numbers are, but maybe I'm asking you if you're a 5, how do you get to a 6? I'm not, I'm not asking you to go a 5 to an 8, but if you're a 5, how do you get to a 6? If you're a 6, how do you get to a 7? Okay? So maybe, maybe this is going to temper you in your approach from this day on, it's going to help you to get more in the game here. All right. So, but we are so conditioned by our families. Um, maybe outward expression of emotions are not in our families. Maybe in our families, only the women are allowed to get emotional, not the men. How do, how do our families suffer, process loss? Uh, you know, have children been included in the bereavement process? Uh, what's the history of your family? How does your family discuss bad news, bad things? Is everything hush-hushed? Or do you have a way of appropriately addressing things, especially with your children? This will help us to get through grief and loss. And every one of us are going to suffer at some time. Now, how did, let's look at God. How is God involved? Is he involved in this at all? Let's go to this, this little story uh, of Jesus in the next slide. And the story of Jesus is there's this woman who has, needs healing in her life. She's bleeding internally. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, in these tender words, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You see, Jesus 
wanted to meet this woman. He was in a crowd and everyone was crowding around and probably a lot of people were brushing against him. But Jesus knew that this woman came with a need. He knew her heart. He knew how much she was suffering. He knew her grief. He wanted to meet her. He said, no, Peter, no, it's not just anybody. There's somebody here I need to meet. So he, wanted, he sought this woman out. He wanted them to know who she was. And I want to say, this is the kind of God we have. God who wants to know you. He's just, he knows you in the crowd. You might think you're bypassed. You might think that, how could God have time for me? But he is a God, Jesus is a God who wants to know you. He wants to know how you're doing. He wants to know what is your problem? What is going on in your life? How are you suffering? What kind of grief do you have? I, I want to know you. I want to connect with you. I want to be a part of your life. And this is what Jesus did. He did. Instead of being a God who is out there, and remember, we have a God who's approachable. And I know when I was in, the, in, in Oman and I was with my Muslim students, um, there was a distinct difference. They didn't know God as Father. And, and it was a wonderful thing for me to know that I can know God personally, that God is not aloof. He's not a God who's standing there watching us from afar, just watching us stumble over things. He's not a God of, as Islam is, a God of submission. That's what Islam means. But he's an approachable God. He came down to be man, to show us how approachable he was. He came down and had red blood flowing in his veins so he could feel what we feel. He gave up his privileges in heaven. He came down as a servant. He came down as a man. He humbled himself because he wanted to identify with us. God is there. He's not a God of total submission. He's a God who's approachable at the same time. He walked in our shoes. In the next slide. He, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now, in, in counseling, we use the word empathy, empathize. Empathy means you give someone absolute positive regard. That's, that's the terminology, absolute positive regard. But the word, and I checked this in the Greek, the word here is sympathio. It's beyond empathy. It's that you actually enter into the arena with the person, and you feel what they feel. Now, this is amazing. We have a God who's better than any counselor you're going to meet. We have a God who's just not going to give you absolute positive regard. We have a God who's going to feel what you feel and sympathize with what you're going through. That's how close he is. That was Jesus when he reached out to this woman. He sympathized with her. He said, boy, you've gone through so much. I'm so glad we can be here today. I'm so glad you can be healed today. Okay. Jesus understands our grief. And this is from Isaiah. He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we turned our back on him. 
and we looked the other way when we saw his grief. But he carried that grief. He carried our grief. And now he's approachable because he carried our grief. And the last one is here. This is uh, something Paul was in Greece and he was talking to the intellectual Greek people on the Areopagus. And okay, and he said to them, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. They were looking for this unknown God. But he said, look, God is, he's known. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And this is what he said. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, the man he has appointed. He has given it proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There's a man in heaven. Someday you're going to see this man with the marks in his hands and in his side. There's a man there. God wanted all of us to know that there was a man who lived here, who went through everything that we had gone through. And someday we're going to see that man. God wanted us, wanted to identify with us so much that Jesus became a man so that we could identify with him, but that he could identify with us. So I'll ask the uh, worship team to come forward. And the last one is this. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. So be thinking about how close God wants this thing we call life to be with him. He never, we can, we've all gone through so much in our lives. We, we've had a lot of grief, loss, sorrow. Sometimes God gets lost in it all because we're so much into our grief. But I want you to know that that's not the way God wants it. He, Jesus really wants to be there holding on to us through all of our grief. He wants us to be first responders to those who are in grief. And there is no sorrow on earth that heaven cannot heal. So we'll have them worship for a minute, and then I'll come and just give a final ending. We, during our prayer time before the service, we had something that came to uh, Ron and uh, Rob. Uh, would you share that, um, Ron? What, what? Or Rob? Rob. Yeah, so in prayer this morning... Um, I had a, a picture that I had probably about a year ago, and it was a picture of a Ferris wheel. And I said, now, Ferris wheel, let's, can I get something a little scriptural, Lord, a little more holy than that? And uh, well, it says, no, but think about it. And I says, okay. So I thought about it. He says, what happens on a Ferris wheel? He's, he says, well, if you can't get off, you can get stuck. And if you keep going around and around on a Ferris wheel, that you keep coming back to the same place where you, where you were. And he said, that's the situation, Rob. People can get stuck on this Ferris wheel 
and they really need the power of God at times to release them from that stuckness in their life. And, you know, like John had said when he first started when he was playing with the thing, the hose that gets kinked, some people are like that hose. We need help. We need someone to come along and unrelease un that. So the power of God can begin to flow again, and the purposes of God can begin to flow again in our life. But see, the enemy has a plan to keep people stuck, right? And part of that is fear. Now, Lord, I believe, is inviting people to come, to get unstuck, and not to let fear and intimidation hinder you from coming for that help. So that, that's kind of what we, we had in prayer this morning. Thanks, Rob. Great. So, so we're going to have, if, if at the end of the song, if you want to come up for prayer, please come up. If there's grief, loss, something unresolved that really you need to meet God over, who really wants to meet you over this. Uh, we're going to have uh, some more worship, but come after this. And those who don't want uh, any ministry or prayer, please go on the other side so we can have uh, the ministry time here. But there might be losses that are unresolved in people's hearts. You may have lost a loved one, and it's, it's just not really resolved yet. You may have lost a child that, that you just need God to know God's arms around you. you. Maybe you've lost your career. Maybe you've lost a position of some kind. Maybe you've lost a home. You're, maybe you've lost finances. Maybe you've lost your, a status or your reputation got lost. Maybe you've lost your cultural identity. Maybe you've lost some ability or some mobility. Maybe you've lost your personal identity in some way. Maybe you have a loss of physical capability. Maybe you feel like you've lost your youth. Maybe you feel like you've lost control over your family or your security. Or maybe you've had an injustice and you're suffering from an injustice. Or you've been misunderstood or you've been rejected or marginalized. Maybe you've lost a relationship that was dear to you. Maybe you've lost your innocence or trust due to trauma or abuse. Maybe you've lost safety somehow. Maybe you've lost your sense of self-worth or self-esteem. Or maybe you've lost a dream you were hanging on to. Maybe you need hope for the future. So this grief and this loss that you're suffering today, Jesus is here, and if you need more time to spend with people, to pray, to get through this, to move you on so you're not stuck anymore, Please come forward and get prayer. Thank you.